0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of enchondromas from the pathology section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Enchondromas are benign chondrogenic tumors composed of hyaline cartilage that typically occur in the medullary cavity of the diaphysis or metaphysis, most commonly in the hands. Patients typically present between the ages of 20 to 50 with an asymptomatic lesion discovered incidentally on radiographs. Diagnosis is made radiographically with the presence of a well-defined lucent central medullary lesion that is 1 to 10 centimeters and often associated with quote popcorn stippling, arcs, whirls, or rings. Treatment is observation as most lesions are asymptomatic. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to the epidemiology, enchondromas are the second most common benign cartilage lesion. Osteochondroma is the most common. As far as the demographics, the male-to-female ratio is 1-to-1. They are most common in 20-to-50-year-olds. They are usually found in the medullary cavity of the diaphysis or metaphysis. The most common locations are in the hand, more than the lower extremities, and they are found in the hand roughly 60% of the time. The most common bone tumor in the hand is the enchondroma. Other locations can include the distal femur in 20% of cases, more than the proximal humerus in 10% of cases, and then to a lesser extent in the tibia. It is rare in the pelvis, scapula, and ribs, and if you do see a lesion in those locations, suspect a chondrosarcoma. As far as pathophysiology, enchondromas represent incomplete endochondral ossification chondroblasts and fragments of epiphyseal cartilage escape from the physis, displace into the metaphysis, and proliferate there. Associated conditions include a solitary enchondroma or Ollier's disease, which is multiple enchondromas, and this has a sporadic inheritance with no genetic predisposition. It is characterized by skeletal dysplasia with failure of normal endochondral ossification and you will see enchondromas throughout the metaphysis and diaphysis of long bones and the involved bones are dysplastic with shortening and bowing. And there is a risk of malignant transformation in less than 30% of cases. Maffucci syndrome is another associated condition where there is a sporadic inheritance with no genetic predisposition. It is characterized by multiple enchondromas and soft tissue angiomas. Radiographically, enchondromas in Mefuchi syndrome markedly expand the bone, and angiomas are seen as small, round, calcified phlebolets. There is a risk of malignant transformation of enchondromas in up to 100% of Mefuchi syndrome patients. There is also an increased risk of visceral malignancies, like astrocytoma and GI malignancies. The classification of enchondroma is usually via the Enneking classification of benign lesions, in which there are three stages. Stage 1 are latent lesions, and examples include enchondroma and non-ossifying fibroma. Stage 2 includes active lesions like aneurysmal bone cysts, unicameral bone cysts, chondromyxoid fibroma, and chondroblastoma. And finally, stage 3 are aggressive lesions like giant cell tumor of the bone. As far as the presentation of enchondromas, patients are usually asymptomatic. These lesions are usually discovered incidentally on radiographs, and this is usually true for enchondromas in the long bones and in the foot. A pathologic fracture is often seen with enchondromas in the hand. Pain is uncommon in enchondromas, and when a patient presents with an enchondroma and pain in the adjacent joint, the cause of the pain is often unrelated to the tumor. Unlike enchondroma, most chondrosarcomas have non-mechanical pain that is both rest pain and nocturnal pain. Physical exam in enchondroma patients may show shortening and angular deformities as enchondromas may disrupt the growth plate, and multiple bluish angiomas are characteristic in Mefucci's syndrome. With respect to imaging, a skeletal survey is done if polyostatic disease is suspected. Findings include well-defined lucent central medullary lesions that calcify over time. These are typically 1 to 10 centimeters in size. There is a metaphyseal location when they first appear. They appear more diaphyseal as the long bone grows. Popcorn stippling, arcs, whorls, and rings may be seen. Minimal endosteal erosion that is less than 50% of the width of the cortex may be seen as well. Cortical expansion and thinning may be present in the hands and the feet, but not in the long tubular bones like the femur or tibia. These patients may have lesions that are purely lytic in appearance, especially in the hand. In Ollier's disease, enchondromas markedly expand the bone. The bones are dysplastic with shortening and bowing. In Maffucci syndrome, enchondromas also markedly expand the bone and angiomas are visible as calcified phleboliths. Keep in mind that unlike enchondromas, chondrosarcomas display cortical thickening and destruction. In addition, they display endosteal erosions and scalloping that are greater than 50% of the width of the cortex and are larger that is greater than 5 centimeters. A bone scan is indicated to help differentiate chondrosarcoma from enchondroma and in addition to identify polyastatic disease. However, it rarely adds useful information. Only 20% of enchondromas have more uptake than the ASIS, and most enchondromas are small and easily identified as benign. Findings include increased uptake but less than chondrosarcoma because of continued remodeling within the lesion. An MRI is usually not necessary for diagnosis, however, MRI may be indicated to identify size and intramedullary extent and soft tissue extension, or to differentiate from a chondrosarcoma. Enchondromas appear lobular and bright on T2-weighted images. There is no bone marrow edema or periosteal reaction in enchondromas, and an MRI may show a streak of cartilage or, quote, sled runner tracks and keep in mind that a medullary fill of greater than 90% suggests chondrosarcoma instead of enchondroma. A core needle biopsy of an enchondroma from areas of bone scalloping or lysis are prone to sampling error due to tumor heterogeneity. Chondrosarcomas may contain areas of benign hyaline cartilage, and it is often impossible to differentiate an enchondroma from a low-grade chondrosarcoma. As far as histology of enchondromas, the gross appearance is blue-gray lobulated hyaline cartilage with scattered calcifications. Microscopic appearance of solitary lesions in long bones will be hypocellular with bland, mature hyaline cartilage, otherwise known as blue balls of cartilage, separated by normal marrow. This differentiates enchondromas from chondrosarcoma, and in enchondromas, endochondral ossification encases cartilage with lamellar bone, and there is abundant extracellular matrix with no myxoid component. The microscopic appearance of solitary lesions in small tubular bones and the fibula in Ollier's and Mefuchi syndrome include a hypercellular appearance with mild chondrocytic atypia, and the characteristics of the chondrocytes include small, bland chondroid cells in lacunar spaces that have uniform staining of the nuclei. They also have no pleomorphism, mitoses, anaplasia, hyperchromasia, or multinucleated cells. Remember, unlike enchondromas, chondrosarcomas display hypercellularity with plump nuclei, multiple binucleate cells, and giant cells with clumps of chromatin. The two main diagnoses on the differential of an enchondroma include a bone infarct and chondrosarcoma. A bone infarct has a, quote, smoke-up-the-chimney radiographic appearance, and the MRI does not give a high T2 signal. Enchondromas have a high T2 signal because of the high water content of the cartilage chondrosarcomas have worsening pain, large size, deep endosteal greater than two-thirds of the cortical thickness. They are also characterized by periosteal reaction, cortical breakthrough. They are rare in the hands, feet, and more common in the pelvis, scapula, and ribs. And of course, the converse is true for enchondromas. The treatment of enchondroma can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves observation and is indicated as the treatment for a vast majority of asymptomatic enchondromas. Follow-up should include serial radiographs at 6 months and 12 months to confirm radiographic stability, however you should have long-term follow-up for patients with multiple enchondroma syndromes. Operative management of an enchondroma includes intralesional curatage and bone grafting, and the indications for this are lesions that show any changes on serial x-rays, radiographs suspicious for low-grade chondrosarcoma, and large lesions at risk for recurrent fracture. As far as outcomes for intralesional curatage and bone grafting, local recurrence is unusual. Immobilization followed by curatage and bone grafting is indicated for pathologic fracture in small tubular bones, like hand lesions, because repeated fractures will usually occur. So basically you will immobilize until fracture union followed by curatage and grafting. Complications of enchondroma is malignant transformation, that is, of course, the risk of transformation of an enchondroma to chondrosarcoma. The risk of malignant transformation of a solitary enchondroma is 1%. The risk of malignant transformation in Ollier's disease is 25 to 30%, and the risk of malignant transformation in Mifucci's syndrome is 25 to 30%, but there is up to a 100% risk of other visceral and CNS malignancies as well. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 55-year-old male was referred by his primary care physician for evaluation of chronic knee pain. He currently complains of knee pain, but is concerned as he was told he had a bone tumor. The patient smokes one pack per day. On physical examination, he has no edema or overlying erythema, but has tenderness to palpation diffusely. His neurovascular examination is unremarkable. AP and lateral radiographs demonstrate proximal tibial enchondroma. What is the next best step in treatment of the knee pain? And the choices are 1, magnetic resonance imaging or MRI of the knee, 2, biopsy, 3, observation and symptomatic treatment, 4, extensive curatage and reconstruction with adjuvant treatment, and 5, computed tomography or CT of the chest and abdomen. The correct answer to this question is 3, observation and symptomatic treatment. So the radiographs demonstrate an enchondroma of the proximal tibia. The next best step in treatment would be observation and symptomatic treatment. Enchondromas are benign tumors composed of mature hyaline cartilage within the medullary cavity. They are usually found in the metaphysis or diaphysis of long bones and in the phalanges. Enchondromas exhibit mineralization and typically do not involve the cortex. Patients are usually asymptomatic, however they may present with a pathologic fracture. If found incidentally, they are treated with observation and serial radiographs. Wadajo wrote a review article discussing the top 5 lesions that do not require referral to an orthopedic oncologist. He reports that enchondromas are most commonly seen in the hands and feet, followed by the femur, humerus, and tibia. He reports that they have a characteristic appearance on radiographs appearing as partially lytic lesions that are centrally located in the metaphysis or metadiaphysis and have a characteristic chondroid mineralization pattern consisting of arcs, Whorls and stippling. On MRI, they are hyperintense on T2 due to their high water content, and may have interspersed regions of low signal corresponding to areas of mineralized cartilage. Marco et al. wrote a review article on cartilage tumors. They report that enchondromas can be distinguished from chondrosarcomas radiographically, and therefore do not require a biopsy. The two differ in clinical presentation as well. Unlike enchondromas, chondrosarcomas are usually painful larger, that is defined as greater than 5 centimeters, and most commonly located in the metaphysis of the humerus, femur, or tibia. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, MRI of the knee is incorrect, as MRI is not necessary in the evaluation of an enchondroma. Answer 2, biopsy is incorrect, as biopsy is not necessary for an enchondroma. Answer four, extensive curatage and reconstruction with adjuvant treatment is incorrect, as extensive curatage and reconstruction with adjuvant treatment is the treatment for a giant cell tumor of bone. Finally, answer five, CT of the chest and abdomen is incorrect, as CT of the chest and abdomen would be required if one suspected metastatic disease. Though this patient's age and smoking history places him at risk for a metastatic lesion, the radiographic appearance makes this less likely. And moving on to the final question, Which of the following diseases carries greater than 50% risk of developing a malignancy? And the choices are 1, Fibrous Dysplasia, 2, Maffucci Syndrome, 3, Ollier's Disease, 4, McCoon-Albright Syndrome, and 5, Multiple Hereditary Exostoses. The correct answer to this question is 2, Maffucci Syndrome. So Maffucci syndrome is characterized by multiple enchondromas and soft tissue hemangiomas with at least 50% of patients developing malignancies, either chondrosarcomas, astrocytomas, or visceral adenocarcinomas. A study by Schwartz of 44 patients with multiple enchondromas, either Ollier's or Mefuchi syndrome, were followed and approximately 25% of Ollier's patients developed a malignancy, while more than 50% of the Maffucci's patients also developed malignancy. Solitary enchondromas have only a 1% chance of malignant transformation into chondrosarcoma while patients with multiple hereditary exostosis or MHE have roughly 10% risk of malignant transformation into chondrosarcoma. That's all for this review about enchondromas. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.